Hi, welcome to MedTech for Beginners, the place to come if you want to know more about how to bring new health and care innovations into the UK market. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of MedTech for Beginners and today I will be talking with Caroline Morris who is Chief Exec of GAIN which stands for Guillaume Barre and Associated Neuropathies, which is a charity actually based quite close to me in Sleaford, but it's a national charity. Welcome to the podcast, Caroline. Hi, Kate. Great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. And what I wanted to talk about today was working with patients and the impact of new technologies and how they can have a positive impact on patients' lives. And also, if it's done the wrong way, it can be a negative thing as well. So if you'd just like to explain to everybody that might not have heard of Guillaume Barre, what your charity is all about and the conditions that people are living with when they come and speak to you. Okay, so uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome is actually a very rare illness. It affects maybe 1,300 people total in the United Kingdom and Ireland uh, every year. And it has a um, devastating effect on families, absolutely dreadful. So you could wake up in the morning and think, do you know, I feel a bit under the weather today. And by lunchtime, be on a ventilator, totally paralysed, almost fighting for your life. So you can imagine how that is for families. There's also chronic versions that leaves people with life-changing mobility and dexterity issues, and people have to come to terms with that. So it's, it's a really difficult one. So some people just have a little bit of numbness, maybe in their feet and hands. Some people are completely paralysed. The condition itself is cruel. It runs its course in four to six weeks but it could take you that long again to start to make a recovery and a lot of people the average is about six months but we know people that it's taken six years to actually recover from these conditions so the idea of innovative technologies and anything that can come forward to help our patients is a really great subject and so I'm really interested to be here and, and hopefully people will hear because how do you deal with something? There is no cure. I'd love one day to say that this charity doesn't have to exist because somebody has come up with a cure and something that will stop it happening because the only thing we know is your immune system does what it's supposed to do and then get so excited about having got rid of your cold or your, your upset tummy that it wants to keep going and doing things. And so it strips your nerves of their myelin sheath, which is the whole issue with then mobility and dexterity. Right. So anybody listening that's thinking of a field of research right now, think about that. That's a good start. But what I'd like to ask you is, I know that you get involved with all party parliamentary groups and other types of lobbying activities and so on. Um, and what's your experience to date of working with uh, pharmaceutical or med tech companies that are looking to support your patients? 
we've we've had some good experience really of working with pharmaceuticals because particularly on the chronic illnesses so that's when people have a relapsing remitting approach to the condition so that they start to lose mobility or dexterity and then it picks up again so the pharmaceuticals are always looking for better ways of providing that treatment or and using patients to sort of help lead that as well but at the moment most people they have to go into hospital and have maybe five days worth of immunoglobulins or plasmapheresis so their life is controlled by their when they're going into hospital and that could be every few weeks it could be every few months but modern technology and working with pharmaceuticals could develop better ways of dealing with it at home so we do have some patients who do home treatments and use subcutaneous forms that means they're more in control of their own life and thankfully, patients are, that's becoming available more widely. So patients have control of their own life. But working with the patients and pharmaceuticals can start to develop really interesting conversations about how they'd like to see, see things treated. So if you've got diabetes, for instance, you have these lovely little injectors that I understand don't seem to cause that much pain when you stick a needle into some part of your anatomy but at the moment that's not quite the same for us so it's much longer process and I think when they start listening to the patients they all say we'd like something that is simpler maybe less painful more adaptable to a lifestyle so medication doesn't run you you run your life around your medic you know and do your medicating when you can and I think that's really important when you're in a long-term condition. In terms of those people that have Guillain-Barre syndrome itself, they only get five days' worth of treatment in the first four weeks. And so I, I don't think there's a lot of things there that could instantly sort of make a big difference to them. What would make the big difference is if somebody out there went, do you know, we know exactly what's causing this, and if we did this to people then that wouldn't happen. Yeah, amazing, yes. We're always looking for a golden bullet, aren't we, to solve <laughs> this issue. So, um, and thinking of those people that you're working with who are living with this condition, a lot of the, the people listening to, to these podcasts think in the med tech um, side of things, so technology that might support people to live a better life to enable them to do things that maybe they have become restricted and so on and so forth. And from the sound of things, your patients can be very restricted in what they can do with their lives and, and how it impacts on their lives. So if somebody was bringing in a technology or trying to introduce a technology which supports people with muscle weakness or lack of manual dexterity, etc., how would you approach if they if they came and contacted your charity how would you approach that sort of contact with with an organization or even an individual that is looking to create a solution to these challenges normally when we are approached for patient involvement uh, we find social media is fantastic you can put a something out to absolutely everybody that we have 
on our books and on our social media. And we literally will get more volunteers come back than any company could ever wish to hear from. It, it can be quite frightening that sometimes you'd have to close the list and go, okay, thank you, we're, we're there, uh, which is great. But there'll be so many people because when you lose something, like you say, like dexterity, it affects everything you do, you know, down to eating. And, and I know there are very simple solutions for eating and you can get little things that you can rest your hand on that helps you move your fork to your to your mouth and things but it would be really good to see people consider solutions that maybe they would have in hospitals as well because we know that a lot of our people are lying in bed there they can be very immobile and just something as simple as being able to just use eye sort of like an eye gaze type way of working because they haven't they can't speak or anything so simple technology that could be i suppose once say very cheaply put in place for people so they can carry on communicating with their families or just listen to their favorite book or music without somebody having to come along and go well mr smith did you want to hear a bit more of your book today which is what happens a lot now alexa technology is fantastic if you can speak and so we would have people that maybe the only thing they can do is just blink or move their eyes slightly. So I'd love to see stuff like that in the early days for our patients that are maybe spending months in a hospital bed. Uh, and I think what brought that home to us more is during the pandemic, where people then had no movement, no ability to do anything, lying in a hospital bed, but no one could come and see them. So they became incredibly isolated. So I, I think things like that, but in the longer term with our chronic patients, it's things that make, I think, make things as well affordable for people and make it more readily available for people. So if they do need help with something that gets a better grip on their hands or uses their computer better, I think... It just needs to be available easily for people. Now, I know that might sound strange, but what it, once you've lost your mobility and your dexterity, quite often you've also got no employment. You've got full-time carer. That could be your other half looking after you. So anything that can be put in to make their life easier in the home and give them back that ability to work, something very simple for a computer might mean that they can go back to their job. And I think this is some, This is one of my um, soapboxes, really, that I think, again, I'm sure I've said this before on podcasts, it's very difficult. I normally talk about dementia, but it's the same for any type of condition. It's very difficult to even find stuff by Googling because you don't know the terminology you need to be looking for. Till you know what's available, you don't know what to look for. And you don't know what's available because you don't know what to look for. And there's no one place of wisdom that you can go to. There's nowhere that you can just go online and look at a catalogue or just say, right, this is for manual problems. This is for continence problems, etc., etc., And just 
you know, get some general background advice and information uh, instead of all of those uh, badly photocopied duplicate sheets that you get given by hospitals, you know, somewhere where you can actually go get information which is valid and then go, well, this is the, even if it's just as far as this is the search you should be putting into Google for what you're looking for. This is your search. And uh, because um, myself personally, when I was caring for my mother with dementia, I was able to put in so much technology because for each deficit, I knew what technology was around to replace it, to compensate. And so she actually lived a really full life until she had a major stroke three years past diagnosis, which is uh, for someone with vascular dementia is virtually unheard of. But the point is, I knew this stuff and I knew what Google searches to put in. You've just been freshly diagnosed with Guillain-Barre or your husband has or whatever. You don't know what you're looking for. You can't search for a particular item because you don't even know it exists. And you don't know what technology, groups of technology exist either. This one, I think, is a real bugbear of mine because um, in a lot of ways, these things normally have to be motivated by purchase. So there has, there has to be a way of generating an income from this in order for it to exist. And they go, well, people who are diagnosed with serious illness or who have got dementia haven't got any money. Well, believe me, if you've got one of these diseases, it doesn't matter how much money you've got, you're going to spend it to try and get over and live with the condition that you've got. So I, I really do strongly believe that's a big, big hole. And not just in the UK, but you can't do it in America either. You can't do it anywhere. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, as a charity, we will put in place items that are not available through statutory bodies. So as long as we have the money and we have the ability to get that particular item and it's suitable for the, the patient, then we will help out. But you're absolutely right. I had a, an interesting conversation with a, a person last week who is looking out really for their grown-up adult child uh, for them to come home from rehab. And they've been in hospital and rehab for months and months on end. And it was really simple things that I do have experience of uh, because I've had mobility problems, still do, and I have some dexterity problems. It was simple things like what sort of cutlery do they need or but actually they can lift the fork, but they can never get it to the mouth. And hence going back saying, I know that you can get like a little device that you can rest on and it stuffs your fork in your mouth. So, you know, you can eat your sausage and mash or whatever you choose to eat. You might be a bit more upmarket than me. But um, they they didn't know where to start even looking for just simple things, something to put your socks on with. Now, those type of things are in existence and they're all fairly reasonably priced but they're at the end of the the illness where they have the ability to maybe hold a chunky fork or use the old sock putter on her but there's going to be lots of people out there that come out of Guillain-Barre or live with CIDP to a very disabled degree so they could be paraplegic quadriplegic uh, they they may not be able to do any of these simple tasks, but it would be great if those if there was something to help them. And I think as well, 
the importance of something that can help them get back to doing some form of useful work. Because Guillain-Barre hits any age. We know of people or babies that have been born with it. So, I mean, this, this can hit any age group. So if you suddenly get an illness like this when you're in your teens and you've just come to the decision that actually you don't want to be the train driver anymore, but you'd like to go into sort of brain surgery, you suddenly get faced with an illness that maybe has left you slightly not so mobile. Having something that can say, actually, you know, there's some really good equipment out here that you can still carry on learning and you can get a degree and you can drive and you can get that top-notch job that you want. It's got to be great. So I agree if there's, you know, people listening that really want to start looking at how to help people. Sometimes it's just the simple things. I was just thinking about what you were saying earlier about engaging with pharmaceutical companies, for example, and how you um, get lists of volunteers. Um, And just for those listening, I've talked about this with previous interviewees. And uh, we've mentioned patient and public involvement and engagement. We haven't actually gone into what does that actually mean? So you get your list, you've got contacts. So what interactions, what activities do volunteers take part in and how does that contribute to bringing a new product to market? It can take several forms in the beginning. To start with, they might just want to do a paper survey. So a pharmaceutical, for instance, may want to do a paper survey and find out whether this great idea they've got is really such a good idea. They may conduct a few telephone interviews and then start to build up how many people they talk to so initially they might say we'll do this on paper we want 30 people now that's quite actually really easy for us to achieve because people are very keen to if they can't help themselves they want to help people that are coming along behind them and then they might want to do one or two interviews they may want to have a focus group so probably using the the power of some form of online chat get a few people together to to bat a few ideas backwards and forwards really you know what would you think of this if we did x y and z and then as it starts to I could say ramp up a few gears you end up sitting around a table with the the people that are actively involved and then you may have one or two patients maybe somebody like myself from a patient group there representing sort of a wider thought process and going back and able to ask questions of other patients because obviously we can't share information like that. And then you start working through the phases. I have to say, I think we've got as far as about phase three before they pulled the the sort of the rug from under us, but it it shows you how it starts to, to work. And sometimes... You go away and you they come back and go, actually, we've tweaked this and can we start again? Can we get all the patients back together? So having that voice when they're trying to develop new products or new treatments, it really helps them focus on how they want their treatment. And I think often people go, this... 
will be a really, really good idea. But don't think about the impact that has on the person that's got to do that every day or every week. Whereas if you've got the patient going, that'd be just really awful if you made us do that. But if we, if you tweaked it this much, that would be really good. And I know taking it slightly out of the pharmaceutical bit, but I've worked with other areas where you're looking at things like clinical pathways and putting the patient voice onto a, a clinical pathway. They're the ones that go, do you know we're people? You might want a process, but actually that process is on a person. So when you're thinking of designing that process, we have feelings too. And it's it's a really interesting one to, to watch how I think people are now listening to that voice of the patient and realising that actually they're a really valuable asset when you're building a new technology, new um, pharma or even a new process within the NHS for treatment, the patient voice is a really valuable asset. Couldn't agree with you more. So we're coming to the end of our session. If any of the listeners wanted to get hold of your charity, how should they contact you? The easiest ways are email. So that's office at gaincharity.org.uk. Or they can phone us during normal office hours on 01529 469910. And uh, either chat to me or Simon. Both of us are really happy to answer any questions. Fantastic. Thanks very much. And um, this has been a really, really interesting conversation, really useful. And I just want anybody out there who is considering developing or is in the process of developing or bringing a new product to market, just think what that means to the patient. It might sound like a fantastic idea and the impact that that it can have on them may be amazing, but equally that's got to fit in with their life and their family and what's happening around them, which I think is quite often not considered. Thank you so much for your time today, Caroline. It's been great speaking to you. And if anybody wants to get hold of me, you can find us on www.pimsconsultancypapayankeemikesierraconsultancy.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you found it both interesting and useful. Please feel free to message us if you've got any questions that you'd like to ask or any requests for future interviewees or any particular aspects of MedTech that you'd like to know more about. We'd be happy to include them in future episodes. Our email address is info at pimsconsultancy.co.uk. That's info at papa, yankee, mike, sierra, consultancy.co.uk. Or you can find out more about this podcast by visiting pimsconsultancy.co.uk forward slash medtech podcast until the next time bye for now